A mere two weeks after restating Alberta would not see a vaccine passport, Premier Jason Kenney announced such a measure amid rising cases of COVID-19's fourth wave. Kenney deemed it necessary at this point as Alberta's health system has faced record numbers of hospitalizations and ICU admissions, and the move has created political pressure within his own party. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Edmonton Journal political reporter Lisa Johnson joins me to discuss the new measures the Premier brought in, the criticism he's facing from the public and within the UCP, and how bad things have gotten in the healthcare system in Alberta. Don't forget you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Lisa, when I last talked to our colleague Rick Bell at the Calgary Sun, we talked of the political pickle Jason Kenney had found himself in, how, you know, there was a realization that the open for summer, open for good plan wasn't working out, as cases in Alberta have seemed to skyrocket in the last several weeks. But at the time... The furthest Jason Kenney was willing to go was a renewed mask mandate. There was a cutoff time for when businesses had to stop selling booze. And they floated this $100 incentive for those who hadn't yet gotten vaccinated to sign up and get the shot. And a lot of people, Rick included, kind of thought, that's it. That can't be it. Rick Bell even said he was gobsmacked. But that wasn't it, was it? No, that wasn't it. So that was on September 3rd. Mm -hmm. But about two weeks later, the premier came out with kind of a laundry list of restrictions, limits on indoor dining and social gatherings, and something the government called the restriction exemption program, which is essentially vaccine passports. There are three awkward and confusing words that I think the health minister at the time, Tyler Shandro, even stumbled over a little bit. But it was an obvious policy compromise. The vaccine passport system is, is an opt-in if, for example, a restaurant opts in to checking for proof of vaccination at the door. They can have indoor dining. But, you know, it was, it was also criticized as a strange kind of napkin list of, of confusing measures. There were some things that were just not clear. Businesses kind of had to scramble to get prepared for it. And it did seem a little bit hastily pushed out the door. At worst, you know, some public health experts were saying it came too little too late and it might be too weak of a suite of measures to stave off the crisis that we're now dealing with. There was a lot of question, you know, why did Jason Kenney wait so long to bring in some of these measures? And, and even why did he not bring in the vaccine passport or the restriction exemption program, whatever you want to call it, two weeks earlier when he announced the $100 incentive? Like, what was the rationale behind that two-week delay? So Kenny said that after they introduced the previous measures, they saw the data change. You know, it's essentially, you know, we keep keep an eye on the data and the data is changing and the data is evolving. We have to go with the data. There wasn't really a satisfying answer about the timing of these new restrictions. Obviously, he had to go to his cabinet committee and hash it out with his other UCP MLAs. But as for the timing, I don't know if there was a, a clear answer other than, you know, the, the data changed. We have to go with what the data is telling us now. And of course, he's repeated throughout the pandemic that public health restrictions, he considers them a limited last resort. Mm -hmm. But at this point, the government was just forced to do what was necessary to protect the healthcare system. 
So we finally get to the point that he brings in a measure that other provinces have looked at and that people in Alberta have been calling for for some time. Was there relief that he had opted to bring in a vaccine passport or a version of one? Or was it a case of, even though it's needed, you should have done this ages ago, this is too little, too late, we're already in a crisis? I think the political reaction was anger from the left over the delay and that steps weren't taken earlier. Because at this point, you know, hospitals were already dealing with a lot of pressure, staffing shortages, and a litany of problems, but also anger from the right, from those who are opposed to COVID restrictions and vaccine passports. Those people were equally livid that the exact things that Kenny promised not to do, he was now doing. Mm -hmm. This is weeks after public health experts had been pleading for more action We saw ICU doctors protesting publicly and and warning uh, quite vocally about the public health fallout of the province's trajectory. We saw businesses and chambers of commerce in the province calling for the vaccine passport to try to salvage some semblance of normal business revenue and, and safety, some sort of normalcy. There was also a really strong reaction to, I think, the way that these restrictions were communicated and how Jason Kenney took responsibility for what was happening in the healthcare system, but then also did not, right? Like we heard a kind of sorry, not sorry. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I'm not sorry to have lifted public health restrictions July 1st. I was being optimistic and the evidence said that that was a good idea. And, you know, of course, this was the infamous, we're open for summer, open for good. He said that was justified by the numbers, but he did apologize for having predicted that the province could be open for good for shifting from a pandemic to an endemic response. Mm -hmm. That's the best I can make of it. I've listened to that press conference like 15 times. You mentioned an interesting point that in Alberta, and I know it's, it's similar elsewhere, but it seems like the folks who oppose measures, and I'm not just talking about lockdowns, like there are people in Alberta who oppose measures like a passport that say, if you're not vaccinated, you can't go sit in a restaurant because we're trying to stop the spread of COVID-19. There there are people in this province and a lot of them appear to be in the UCP base. And there's some even UCP MLAs who have questioned the pandemic response, felt that the restrictions have gone too far in the past. What has been the reaction within his caucus to this? Are there MLAs who are glad that he's finally taken action? Are there MLAs who are upset that he's taking these actions? I mean, there's a lot we don't know about the conversations that they have behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. But the short answer is it doesn't seem to be going over very well with them either for the really divergent reasons we've discussed. The party is divided between, some people call it like the Wild Rose faction against restrictions, largely rural MLAs and, and the more progressive conservative faction who tend to represent urban ridings and have been, I think, in favor of of taking these measures and even probably wanted them a lot earlier. Last week, we saw Calgary Fish Creek backbencher Richard Gottfried. He was posting some comments on Facebook in response to some questions from his constituents about, you know, what happened here, like what went wrong and some criticism he fielded too. He was apologetic that he failed to convince the government behind closed doors to announce stronger public health measures sooner. 
in his words, he was trying his best to try to convince the government behind closed doors, but it wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And as he also put it, the words never and passport and open for good may go down in, in embarrassment, infamy were his words. But on the other hand, you know, backbenchers in the party have been quite famously kicking up dust throughout the pandemic over restrictions they thought were too punitive and unnecessary. So after this, backbencher Jason Steffen published a letter to his constituents that kind of criticized the vaccine passport. He called it something that was divisive, you know, separating the have been vaccinated from the have not been vaccinated. He noted that many constituents are upset and some of them have asked for the premier to resign. And that's carried over to the network within the party as well. Like not just MLAs, but obviously there's riding associations. There's a whole party executive. And while you have the premier and the MLAs who are elected, there's a whole machine around the party organization. And that's carried over into that group as well. Like my understanding is there's, there's riding associations that are unhappy with the premier and there's members of the party executive themselves. Like what's going on within the United Conservative Party as a whole? It seems like there's a lot of party unrest, at least what we know from those who have spoken out publicly. This has been building for a while. There's been a push from some constituency associations for an earlier leadership review of Kenny. And and there's been sort of building, snowballing support on that end. And we also know that the vice president of policy for the party, so up in the executive, he made a public call for Kenny's resignation the day after the election, so just on Tuesday. So there's definitely some discontent that's been building for a long time. We're recording this on a Friday, you know, as things in the healthcare system have come to a head, things within the political machine in Alberta came to a head this week, kind of twofold. What happened with Jason Kenney and his caucus this week, and what happened with the party as a whole? It's more like what didn't happen on Wednesday with his caucus. Mm -hmm. The rumor swirled that Kenney would face a non-confidence vote, which is a symbolic vote. Um, It wouldn't, wouldn't remove him as premier or anything like that. But Before they met on Wednesday, they had, a, I think, a six-hour-long caucus meeting. Before they met, we were really expecting something to happen. In in previous caucus meetings and situations like these, especially when you've got some MLAs who have spoken publicly against Kenny, sometimes they come out with one or two fewer members in the caucus, right? So we didn't know what to expect, but we thought that something would happen. But Apparently, one backbencher named R.J. Sigurdsson put the motion forward for a vote of confidence, but it was withdrawn. Hmm. It was taken off the table. Reporters were camped out at Dougal Center in Calgary, and they reported that these MLAs kind of streamed out of the building and there was very little comment from them. One MLA did stop to chat with reporters, and that was Cyril Curtin, and, and he was rather optimistic about it and said that the caucus really came together. He put a, a real positive spin on it. So who knows what really happened there, how the why the vote was withdrawn. There's a lot of speculation about that. But prior to this meeting, a former cabinet minister, Leela here, said publicly that the only thing Kenny should have done was to resign. But that didn't happen. We learned that despite the fact that caucus seems to be united that Jason Kenny didn't have to face a, a vote of no confidence from his caucus. He still has to face down members of his party. And I think a little sooner than 
he had hoped. What do we know about when we're going to see a leadership review and some of the details around that? So we got a notice shortly after the meeting from the United Conservative Party that it was asked by the Premier to hold a leadership review in the spring. So that would be earlier than what was originally planned, which would have been the annual general meeting in the fall. So that's been bumped up, essentially. But it's also a bit of a reprieve for Kenny. This gives him some time to try to get that support back from the grassroots of the party. Obviously, there's still going to be a lot of kind of handshaking and reconciliation to be done with with the grassroots of the party and with the executive of the party. But it is a reprieve for Kenny. So all of this is going on. There's cynicism of, you know, whether members of the UCP caucus are more concerned about their political future than they are about the healthcare system, the health of Albertans. People are worried that Jason Kenney hasn't done enough as premier to stem the tide of the fourth wave. All of this is going on while the fourth wave is raging in Alberta. And despite seeing uptick in vaccination appointments since the vaccine passport was announced, we're still seeing some pretty grim numbers when it comes to COVID-19. What is the backdrop for all this political back and forth when it comes to the medical concerns of of COVID-19 and the strain on the healthcare system? How bad has it gotten here? Public health experts that I've spoken with are saying that the healthcare system is close to collapse. Arguably, aspects of the healthcare system already have collapsed. It's a catastrophe, and I find myself lacking the emotional capacity to fully comprehend all of the pieces here. But to try to put it into perspective, yesterday there were 226 people in intensive care units with COVID-19. More people in intensive care than in the history of Alberta. The head of the Provincial Health Authority said Thursday that healthcare workers are only able to keep pace with the admissions to ICUs because in part, some of their ICU patients are dying. We're seeing 15, 17, 20, I think earlier this week, we had 29 deaths. We're seeing more than a dozen deaths per day, and that's what's allowing them to keep capacity below 90% in the ICU. Mm. It's also, I mean, a pretty Herculean task coordinating extra beds too, right? They've doubled, more than doubled, in fact, the number of ICU beds. So they're deploying resources from other departments. They're shipping patients from zones, for example, the North Zone that are overwhelmed, more overwhelmed than others into other health zones where there are beds. They've also started canceling or putting off surgeries. Yeah. So last week we heard that all surgeries except those that need to be done within three days would be postponed. So the Provincial Health Authority is certainly bending over backwards to add what they call surge capacity. And we are nearing 90% on average capacity in ICUs in the province, which previously was the kind of threshold to trigger a triage protocol, which essentially means healthcare workers will be forced to allocate ICU beds only for patients with a greater than 20% chance of surviving the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. But we did hear yesterday that that threshold, that number is not firm. It's still fluid because bed capacity is changing and they're adding beds as fast as they can. To also put it into perspective, the federal government has responded to requests from Alberta to step in to help. The Canadian Armed Forces are sending nurses who specialize in intensive care 
and to help with air transporting patients. The situation doesn't look good right now. Are we at the point where the armed forces are deploying to Alberta or is that still in the offing? The last I heard from the armed forces was that they were still sorting out the details of their operation. But we know for sure that they will be involved in some way. Is that just to get people to hospitals elsewhere? Is that to provide treatment? What does that look like to have the armed forces come in and help your healthcare system from collapsing? You know, Dave, I don't really know. <laughs> I was trying to find this out too, but like the CF was like kind of tweeting about it. And so we like know that they're sending nurses who specialize in intensive care. So mm-hmm. staffing. Yeah. What exactly that's going to look like and how many helicopters presumably would be deployed. We don't really know the details of that quite yet. It's something that we certainly hope wasn't going to come to pass. It looks like it it will in Alberta. And we know that not only does it have political ramifications, but it also has severe ramifications for the health and lives of Albertans. Lisa, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Lisa Johnson. More from her at edmontonjournal.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.